Road to the IPO, le podcast des entrepreneurs aguerris. Today's podcast is in English and I have the great honor to have on the show Jerry Frost from a Fintech Investor. Hi Jay, how's it going? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Thank you for having for accepting our invitation on the show. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. We appreciate it. Yes. So for those that are listening to this podcast, can you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Jay First. I'm um, a managing partner at an investment firm called First Capital Partners. Okay. Uh, my other um, partner is my brother Dominic. Yeah. And uh, we're very active early stage investors in Canada. Okay. As it uh, relates to uh, financial services. Cool. Um, so before we go into fintech, financial technology, mm-hmm. and investments, I want to talk about your career as an entrepreneur. So why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? Because you've been in the entrepreneurship environment for a long time. Mm. So where does it come from? Ah, it's a good question. Yeah. You know, I I think it first and foremost just came from the DNA. Okay. You know, my father was an entrepreneur. He was in the construction business, but he was independent. And yeah. you know, when you grow up young, I was working on construction sites and, yes. and helping him with projects since I was 14 years old. Okay. It was just natural in our family that you built your own thing. Okay. Um, when we came out, myself and my brother, because we've always worked together, it was the early 90s as what you call entrepreneurs. Okay. Um, there wasn't the same environment as it is 20 years it later. Wasn't sexy, like, uh, no, it wasn't sexy. It was actually considered a little weird um, for okay. a, a lot of folks because it didn't. It, it's hard to wrap their minds around young people yeah. building their own things. Okay. There's been an incredible history of entrepreneurs, but it's probably been in the last 10, 15 years where this idea of entrepreneurship has really caught fire. Okay, and. And, and we love that because there's a, there's a real effective support system that's grown around yes. the idea. But back in those days, um, it was different. Okay. Um, but um, it also gave us an opportunity because not many folks were doing what we were doing. Yes. In terms of maturing as an entrepreneur, I think I it, it was just just a family thing. It was just okay. what, what we knew. But I, I, as I grew and became more mature, I think I also understood that just my personality, Your personality spoke to it and it's really just about independence okay. I, I could never effectively wrap my mind around <laughs> having uh, let's say a boss yeah. you know determine how my children eat yeah. and that's in, in our minds as we invest in other entrepreneurs okay. it's that motivation and, and how they think about the world and, and what's going to sustain them through difficult times and for, for me I was fortunate I okay. had a young family and like all entrepreneurs we went through our challenges I was able to leverage Yes. That type of motivation, which was really squarely anchored into that, just that's my mental model of how the world works. Okay, so it's DNA and environment because your parents were entrepreneurs, so it gave you the opportunity to really see other, another view of the of the world. Like. Right, which the view included both the good and the bad. You know, we knew and understood feast and famine as a family. Yes. I mean, when my father was up. Uh, the, uh, the fridge was full. When he was down, we all kind of rallied around together yeah. as a family and discussed the situation. We we supported each other that way. Yeah. Um, 
you know, in the last 20 years is building businesses and investing in entrepreneurs. Yes. Uh, it's been a, a touchstone for me and, okay. and us as investors. And we can relate to the entrepreneurial experience. We try to strip away those who are interested in the sexy okay. and, and in some respects also maybe even depend too much on the community. Yeah. We, we really gravitate to those entrepreneurs who kind of fundamentally understand the journey and what it may look like yes. um, and then support them in time of need. Cool. Well, let's talk about the technology because mm -hmm. at that time you were not, you were an entrepreneur, but a tech entrepreneur. So why technology? Why did you decide to start businesses in technology in the internet? Because you, I, I saw that you have like two businesses that you, where you, they became successful and then you sell it. Mm -hmm. But why tech? Well, you know, I think it kind of, um, it begins with how the entrepreneur sees the world. Yeah. I mean, quite simply, an entrepreneur sees or feels that there's a need that's been unfulfilled, okay. either an existing um, kind of market dynamic that maybe is not as effective, and so okay. they'll you know, leverage maybe some incremental changes, so improve upon something that's been out there. Yes. And there's another cohort of investors who are lucky enough um, to be um, in the, the market Uh, in a market that is kind of at an inception okay. and we have 500 years a thousand years of history you know from the printing press and yes. let's call it maybe steel and 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 oil extraction to okay. you know to um radio and radio. well the internet Maybe. so these are dynamics these are fundamental shifts on the way people are able to do things okay. and again leveraging innovation and so some entrepreneurs are fortunate enough to be um um ready to participate and they have what it takes to say hey I think this is something that could be interesting what's interesting about that dynamic though is that it needs to be a certain type of entrepreneur who can really um, accept risk and okay. messy environments yes. you know back in the mid uh, 90s when myself and my brother um, got involved in what's you know called you know the internet, the internet. back in those days um, we had people actually tell us that this is just a fad. I mean, uh -huh, there okay. was no way people are going to exchange messages online and okay. this stuff is going to collapse. And of course, you know, the internet went through yes. kind of that cycle where it really got hyped up by 99 and then it crashed. Yes. But if you just take a look at the adoption of innovation over the last you know few hundred years, especially post-industrial age, there's some very specific patterns. And you'll see that um, a lot of the kind of Ex you know, famous entrepreneurs yes. or those who made a name for themselves those guys were those folks who were that, those early cohorts who jumped on top of early innovation okay. and rode through these vicious cycles in, in some case yeah. and so we were just lucky enough uh, I was about 23 years old 24 and uh, we had seen this this kind of phenomena around communication okay. through networks and we got involved and it was uh, quite simply timing and so I think tech picked us we didn't pick tech okay. um, as an entrepreneur we looked at you know what's going to change the world yes. and we got involved so you believe like all this uh, innovation like a like a circle correct so we're talking about radio television yep. Yep. And the internet. cycles it's always the same cycles just the platform that change that's that's correct okay yeah And so our first business, uh, we built, scaled, and sold one of the largest Eastern Canadian ISPs yes. um, in this country. Um, we were afforded a lot of mistakes. Okay. It's another thing we learned as being entrepreneurs that when you have a, a, a market that is growing and, it's, and it can be quite large where it's, folks want to get 
yeah. you know, and participate. As on, young entrepreneurs, we were afforded a lot of leeway to make mistakes. We were 23, 24. Okay. And we came from the construction business. Okay. Um, and that market allowed us to learn. What's interesting is our second business where we leveraged, let's call it the internet, yes. um, to kind of uh, participate in the financial services of this can- of this country, which was specifically yes. um, brokerage, okay. um, online brokerage, um, it was a little bit more challenging um, because we were up against incumbents and an established way of doing business. Okay. And our job was to leverage this technology to uh, allow people to do things a little better. Yeah. That in itself was a different type of journey. Our first journey was um, all about the market. Yes. and us participating early. Our second venture was really about leveraging a technology in an existing market, and so it was a little less forgiving in terms of the mistakes. Yes. Um, also, um, we, we just faced headwinds when the, when the, when the market crashed. Yeah. We were in the yeah. business of, of trading online. It was severe. The good news, though, for us as entrepreneurs, we were afforded an opportunity to learn through adversity yes. and a great, great lesson. Okay. And um, sometimes I believe that it's, as entrepreneurs, it's, it's those hard times that really um, highlight your weaknesses and your strengths and you grow. Cool. Uh, but then how, how do you sell those companies? Because people want to know the, how, to, how to successfully sell a company like just sell. Because you have a trade, trade freedom securities that you sell to Scotiabank, if I'm right. That's correct. And also uh, Odyssey Internet mm-hmm. in 997. Mm-hmm. Both of those companies, you sold that to other companies. So if people that listen to this podcast, they want to know, how do you, how do you sell companies exactly? Right. It's a, it's, it's a good question. It's, yeah. a, it's a big question. Yes. Um, I'll try to do it justice. You know, in our experience and just, I, I've, you know, I've been kind of researching entrepreneurship and building companies for, well, since I was 14 years old, yes. you know, we, we clearly see that there's a couple of cohorts. There's, there's one cohort, which is very unique and rare. It's okay. those folks who, who never envision selling anything and they, they, they're in for the long haul yeah. and they love the um, transition because from an early startup as you mature and then you have an organization become a market leader uh, it just takes different skill sets your ability to build a different type of team okay. um, and to work through those chapters yes. some folks are really good at that um, okay. other folks aren't they're they're they've they're they're very effective at the certain stages of a business okay. um, and most people fall into that category we did as entrepreneurs. We understood what we were good at and what we were not good at. We, we understood also what was interesting to us, and it really was the inception. Yes. Finding that opportunity, building it out, and then handing it off yes. um, to another maybe more mature entity where you go from um, startup to more management. Yeah. Um, how do you do that effectively? You know, it's, sometimes I use um, the example of writing a very good story or a screenplay. Okay. You need to know the ending. You need to know the ending. You need to know what it's going to look like. Okay. Now, we can't predict for certainty what an ending looks like, but you can at least aspire to, to get close to it. Okay. So you look at a market. So, for example, Trade Freedom, which was um, the last company that we sold as entrepreneurs, yes. you know, we understood that um, where the value was in that space and so first and foremost you need to build that value okay and you build it by um, doing the right thing providing your end user real value yes in your product 
Once you've done that, you take a look at how do you scale it and how do you take it, quote unquote, to the next level. Okay. And, and in terms of financial services, we understand what the next level is. In Canada, that is um, distribution. And, okay. right, and it's to millions of Canadians. Yes. Right now, folks who really have a lock on that are the, the large incumbents. So we have a very specific structure in this okay. country. So as you're taking a look at the market and where it can be improved, either through a, a zero to one innovation yeah. or an actual increment, in, incremental improvement, you take a look at um, the folks who are already in market who may potentially want to acquire that value. Okay. And once you've understood the kind of economics of that value, um, you work backwards and figure out how do you build the type of organization, value, value. People, people, the product itself, okay. that could be an a attractive acquisition target to those who may acquire you. Okay. Um, so the first portion um, of the exercise is strategic, yes. market, who's existing in there, and what you can do to fill it. And then the second is tactics. Okay. So let's work backwards. Tactically, how do we effectively build this, this value proposition yes. to an acquirer? Okay. And it just comes down to numbers. Um, if you know the value of your user, okay. um, the cost to acquire, what's their lifetime you know, um, value, Yes. It's just it's just it's just numbers in economics. Does it have to fit with the company that's gonna acquire the startup? Like, like I mean, does it have to be the same values? So some just some companies only want the technology, they don't want the team, or just they want the team and. Yeah, I mean, it's there's there's so many different ways, okay. you know, that that we could, you know, approach an acquisition or those who acquire. Yeah, there's multitude of reasons. Um, if you understand the real value of what you've built, yes. then you start then you start aligning yourself with those folks. So, okay. is it that maybe one of the major? Uh, again, I'm just using it as um, in, in the context of um, incumbents in the financial services in Canada. Yeah. When we can open this thing up, but just to keep it specific, uh, there may be an incumbent that's fallen a little behind in okay. one of the segments, and they need to play catch up. Well, that would probably revolve around getting access to your IP. Okay. Um, there may be another instance where they feel as though they don't have the internal capability to maybe express something a little bit more effectively that they have. So they may be looking at the team. It really depends. Um, the idea, though, is you need to take a look at and figure out what you could be really good at. Yes. And then start aligning yourself with those folks. So do you believe that in the future there's going to be more and more companies that are going to be acquired by bigger companies? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's. I mean, that's just been the history. There's going to be a few that are going to stay in market yeah. and um, establish themselves as market leaders. You'll, you'll. I mean, you traditionally see those folks as being those who really innovate at a fundamental level, a yes. different way of doing things, yeah. and they're able to sustain themselves. You know, as investors, that's you know one of our big um, challenges is to keep these type of. Um, companies okay. in market yeah. because it, it's very very difficult as you pay, pass through the gates of inception mm -hmm. um, early stage yes. you know you find your product market fit and that we need to scale yeah. uh, there's just so many challenges and you know the complexity of, of, of how you have to evolve as an organization and, yes. um, it's tough and so entrepreneurs every time they hit those gates Yeah. have to look and say, this is another three or five years. Okay. Do I have what it takes? Okay. Especially, you know, when you're faced with 
an attractive offer to take you out. Yes. And so as investors, we try to keep them in market, well, help them as a team, but also give them the necessary financing to keep moving through the food chain um, or up that ladder um, because it's, it, it truly is how you can express um, your vision. That, it's challenging. Yeah, that's why every entrepreneur, like you say, needs to know the end goal. Right. Yeah. How far do you think you could take it? Where do you not feel comfortable? Yeah. And if, 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 if you take the route of filling your team with those who are comfortable, yes. are you willing to move back? Um, there's so many considerations. Okay. It, but it, it really starts with self-awareness. Are you aware of who and what you are, your, your team, your core team? Who are you as a business? Who are you as people? It really it helps you determine where you think you could go with these things. But in terms of acquisition, absolutely. I mean, it's just, especially in financial services, I mean, you have very large incumbents that have great yes. balance sheets and there's a history of them participating by acquisition. Okay. Um, and so it, it's, we find it exciting. That's why we do like being in the space. It's because you do have a tremendous um, market where yeah. you can get some solid base hits. And if you've built inherent value, we know that number. As investors, we know we're going to be safe. Okay. It really is, though, um, our job to support those who actually will knock it out of the park and stay in market for as long as possible. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So... So before we go on the investor side, I just want to people that listen to this podcast, where they can contact you if they want to talk about uh, is there any platform that you're on, Facebook, LinkedIn? Yeah, they can hit us up at LinkedIn at First Capital Partners. Okay, cool. And um, I mean, we're pretty well embedded in the community here in Montreal yes. and in Canada. You know, we did a lot of work 2000. 13, 2014, 2015 as, as, a, as a firm to try to support the building of a fintech ecosystem okay. um, in Canada. We felt we were a couple of years behind, um, yes. and particularly Europe and Asia, and um, you just you need to participate. We felt that there was a few attributes that we had here in Canada in the tech kind of um, community where yeah. we could leverage our strengths, in particular around data, our ability to harvest as well as kind of you know, understand and okay. do something with it. I guess the term we use now is uh, AI. AI, yeah. You know, it's an important component in our minds in terms of um, how you can leverage um, financial services. Okay. And so we saw a real correlation there. And it was just a question of bringing together the different pieces of the puzzle. Okay. Um, the entrepreneurial, you know, community, yeah. the, the tech startup space, um, investors, government, and also um, the university themselves. Yes. Yeah, so we spent a couple of years um, just getting out there and uh, helping out, and we feel really comfortable. We feel as though, um, you know, since about 2017, moving into 2018, we're starting to get together. Okay. And um, we feel like we've, we've participated. We've done. We put in our. Uh, we put in our time to help out. Cool. We are going to put all the links so people can contact you on the description of this podcast, and. I want to know, why did you decide to become an investor? You got to have like a good career as an entrepreneur. Yep. You may have continued building other businesses, yep. but why did you decide to really be the one investing in other entrepreneurs? That's a good question. It ultimately came down to the fact that, you know, we felt very comfortable understanding the dynamics yeah. of financial services and technology. We saw the landscape evolve in different uh, okay. jurisdictions in the world and that we were a little behind here in Canada. 
as entrepreneurs, we saw that as an opportunity. But we didn't feel as though we could build 15 companies ourselves. Okay. Um, we felt as though we could probably more effectively leverage our experience as entrepreneurs yes. to support kind of the next cohort. Um, okay. And to do that effectively, it was as an investor. Yes. That being said, it took us a few years, 2012, 2013, going to 2014. It, it, we had to learn how to become an, uh, investors. Yes. It's a business model unto itself. Okay. And so... Thankfully, there wasn't too much um, opportunity in the fintech space in those days, so it allowed us to learn just investing, and we did everything, you know, private equity, yes. some public stuff, um, um, just more um, generic, non-fintech, early stage okay. technology uh, plays. And, uh, you know, it was our own capital, so we were, um, we were comfortable with making those mistakes with our own capital. Okay. Um, and it's just, thankfully, timing-wise, um, we felt as though we'd learned. We understood how these things worked. We made our mistakes. And then we had a target. Okay. We said, in the next three, four, five, seven years, there's going to be traction in financial services as it relates to technology, and we're ready to go. And so you saw us as a firm starting to scale in, um, and we're up to about 80% of our portfolio is really um, um, focused on financial services yes. starting in 2015, 16, 17. Well, what I hear a lot is you have the, not the timing, like when you were an entrepreneur, you knew the timing to mm -hmm. sell, yeah. and even now you knew the timing to invest, that's very great, like you have that, I don't know where does it, where does, does it come from, this uh, sense of timing. Uh, just uh, we're kind of nerdy we do a lot of reading okay. you know um, I'm fascinated by history I'm fascinated by how people have gotten things done okay. um, and again I've, I've been reading about this stuff for th 35 years since yeah. I was 15 years old so it's um, you know I always believed if you understand the way the world works and people Okay. Um, you have a good chance to, you know, get close to what the future may look like. Okay. And as an entrepreneur, you're willing to risk that you're not going to get there 100%, uh, but that you're at least moving in the right direction. And uh, if you get the timing right, you know, you, you have a pretty good chance at a good rate of return. Oh, wow, cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, First Capital Partners. Mm -hmm. what, is, what, what is the you do here? Like what type of companies you invest? What are the companies you're investing right now? Right. You know, we kind of sit in a unique position. Um, we, we focus in on um, early stage okay. fintech, but really our, our bread and butter and our sweet spot is, is B2C, so consumer facing. Okay. Um, there's been a number of funds that you know have kicked off in this country, and the majority of them focus in on 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 B two B. B two B, yeah. B two C has different challenges. We're comfortable in that space for two reasons: one, we've lived it as entrepreneurs. Yes. Um, and two, we're comfortable because if we we feel like we we understand the inherent value um, that can be built vis-a-vis -vis the market yes. and are willing to risk the, the, the incredible challenges that a B2C faces as opposed to a B2B when it comes to financial services. Okay. Quite simply, things like distribution, yeah. cost to acquire, regulatory, and then everything that has to do with scaling. Okay. Um, quite simply, it's tough. It's very, very tough. So while we appreciate and in some, in some instances do invest in B2B, yeah. um, we see that as more 
enabling or supporting an existing infrastructure. Okay. So let's call it um, making a bank more effective. Yes. So you know, digitizing or you know, you you, you maybe you leverage what they call AI to okay. give them a better experience when they're they're trying to get a product um, through that bank. Um, there's value there. Okay. Is it a zero to one? I mean, does it inherently change the way people do things? We don't think so. Okay. So you're going to get a solid base hit? Absolutely. You get a great return on your capital. Where we're more excited is, is, is where those potential home runs, where there's companies that may, uh, they look at inherently changing the relationship. Yes. So maybe a simple example would be in, in wealth management. Okay. Um, we've done the brokerage thing. We understand what it is to leverage the assets that you've Yes. Uh, taken under management, and that's been that business model okay. for you know now we call them the robos for a long time. Yeah. Um, but in in some respects, that business model is is really a race, you know, to the bottom in terms of how much you can charge. Yes. And so, really, the new discussion around that business model is around how do you leverage um, the value of those um, customers, customers in a different way because eventually it's going to come down to zero okay. and it should in our minds it's it's not really aligned with the success of your user yes. because you, quite simply that old model was predicated on just get as much of the capital you know of their assets as possible and that's yes. how you get paid does that correlate with their success? If you take a look at the last 50, 60 years of, of asset management in this country, okay. in North America, you actually take a look at the numbers and no. the answer may not be there. Okay. So what, we'll, what we like to do is take a look at those business models of those companies that we invest in or those who take a look and say, can we reimagine the actual business model? Okay. So we have an interesting company called Milo in our portfolio, yeah, nice. which um, their business model is actually not predicated on um, making money on the assets um, that they um, manage on behalf of uh, their users. Um, that is a, a very different fundamental shift. Very difficult. On the financial, on the financial field, it's very different. Very different because yes. Milo will take a look at their, their user, because okay. they don't see them even as customers, and say, what does it take for them to be successful? So you have someone who's 24 they're looking to invest some of their savings and they want to build their financial future. Yes. They may be a little confused as to what are the best options for them when it relates to mortgages or insurance. Okay. Um, do I borrow? Do I use a credit card? What type of points do I use? Um, and these are difficult questions for folks. And so what Milo attempts to do is build a relationship with that user. Okay. And it really is leveraging the, the data around what they do. Anchor it in, of course, what are your goals? Yes. I mean, um, is it acquiring a house? Is it saving up for an iPhone? Are you starting a young family and you're thinking about insurance? Okay. The idea is that if you can understand what your user needs to get done, yeah. um, and Milo is able to support them in achieving that goal, yes. it, it really is more of a win-win situation with complete transparency. Okay. And so Milo's job is not to build a solution, but to look maybe out, outside in the world to say, where can we support this user? Okay. Is it a third party? So do we partner up with maybe a, a great brokerage firm yeah. um, in mortgages? Or maybe something that we can do internally? Um, it's inherently a different type of business model. It's a different relationship that a financial service company will have okay. with the user. So it's very personalized, like very personalized. I mean. Yeah, uh, well, and, and, 
and that's the trend that we're seeing on big tech. Yes. I mean, I mean, you see the success of companies like Google. And again, if the user opts in, and again, for maybe our generation, when I say my generation, okay. we're a little older, it may be a bit scary for us. Okay. But when you talk to the younger generation, you know, I know my kids, they... You know, and how they relate to data and privacy. Yes. As long as they feel as though you're not going to do anything um, which hurts them in terms of selling your data or, or pushing product that's inherently not personalized, yes. it's a contract that you enter in um, okay. with folks. And so, big tech does it, and they're doing it effectively. The, the Amazons of the world are starting to understand yeah. mm-hmm. what you know. What can we do? Uh, to help you, you know, get to where you need to get to. Okay. And so that's a big missing link that we have in financial services. But I can promise you that a 15, 16, 17 year old today finds it odd that, you know, when they start getting involved with, you know, banking yeah. and, and, and they start thinking about things like how do I save and, and how do I invest this money and then how do I start actually interacting with financial products? Okay. Why is it so weird? You know, I, there's such a disconnect. I've got to go on a website. I, you know, yes. I see my parents getting stuff in the mail. Yeah. Shouldn't they know that I'm transitioning just by what I do with my phone? Okay. I know, uh, again, it's a generational thing, but um, this is the next cohort that's going to be experiencing and, 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 and leveraging um, the opportunities um, okay. when it comes to financial services. They expect the same type of relationship. Um, and that, in our in our mind, is 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 kind of the future of financial services. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> that was a very good uh, answer because I'm fascinated by financial technology. Mm-hmm. Well, just to jump in, our fascination is there too because we we believe that it's just a big pillar yeah. in people's lives, yes. how people spend, um, what they do with their money. I mean, it, it's 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 some of the top. You know things that people think about yeah. your health, your family, your money. Like those are really big fundamentals. Fundamentals, and you know, back to what we focus in on and why. I we just think that the closer we can get to a better, fairer, more transparent um, user experience as it relates to their money. I, you know, I feel more comfortable explaining to my kids why I'm supporting that type of company okay. because ultimately we think it's as close as you can get to helping the user um, as, as opposed to maybe concentrating on how do I incrementally improve a, a, a legacy or an incumbent system. Yes. If you can fundamentally change the dynamic, the relationship, okay. put the power back in the user's hands, we just think it's good for everybody. Wow, amazing. Uh, so let's talk about Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, do you believe that Montreal can become really a tech hub in, in, the, in North America? Because you see the Silicon Valley, San Francisco, being, you believe that Montreal has its place as a fintech space, as a technological space in North America? Sure. Well, I, I think the proof is already in the pudding. Okay. You know, um, I travel quite extensively and I mean, Folks really understand the value that Canada is, is building, and, yes. and particularly Toronto and Vancouver and, and Montreal. Um, I, I think we've done a phenomenal job, um, and um, it's, it's again the job is connecting the pieces together. Yes. You, you need a vibrant 
uh, technology uh, community. It needs to partner up with investors. Okay. Um, it needs to sink into maybe any regulatory kind of frame that needs to get involved in your business. Yes. And lastly, it's the financial institutions themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember back in the in the days again, mid nineties. I was still very young, and you know, at Concordia University. That's I, I spent you know yeah. my education there. You know, they they pulled me in immediately, and they didn't quite know where to put me. Uh, and to which, cl- you know, okay. to stand in front of which class? But they said, "Wow, this is a 23, 24 year old that's kind of built something." Okay. Um, so they put me in front of the marketing classes because there was no entrepreneur classes. Okay, and yeah. But you know, that was twenty years ago. And I take a look now at the evolution of the programs that you have in all the universities yes. in this country. Uh, I love to see it where you know. It's the support starts there. So you have someone, a young adult, who's trying to figure out what do I want to do with my life. You know, it's great that they have the opportunity to maybe take a couple of classes in university. Okay. And um, when you see that, it gives you great hope that uh, the ecosystem itself is going to develop um, effectively. I think it's a question of identifying, um, again, what value can we bring and where are we inherently maybe ahead of everybody else and in Canada I think that a lot of us are supporting um, this idea of AI Um, it's not new if you've been you know through the kind of the cadence of how AI has developed over the last you know you know, three, four, five decades. Yes. It's it's just now we're able to, through technology, effectively leverage the data. Okay. And so I think Canada's done a phenomenal job. We've positioned ourselves. We've got some great companies that are being built. I, I know that the, the larger um, or well-financed institutions in this country are, are looking to back yes. these type of players. Yes. So um, it's super exciting. And we just got to keep doing what we're doing. As it relates to fintech, I think that... <laughs> the challenges we face is is one of geography. I think more, um, there's more of a concentration yeah. when it comes to financial services around Toronto as opposed to um, Montreal and Vancouver. Okay. We understand why all the, you know all the big financial service companies and folks who are in that industry are coming out of Toronto. Yes. That being said, we're seeing jurisdictions again like Montreal who are understanding that the the correlation between AI and data and financial services they're going to do great things. Okay. So. I believe in uh, in Montreal and in Canada. I think we have support from all the different players that need to participate, and we just got to keep working hard. Okay. Uh, so we almost at the end of the podcast, and I want to ask you a question: Where do you see yourself in in tech community in the, in the coming years? Where do you see yourself? Are you going to become more involved, or you going to be just in, in, in as an investor? Are you planning on investing in other technologies, or really stay in the fintech AI com- uh, space? Right. Well, you know, it's uh, we evolve and there's different chapters yes. in our lives. And um, right now, um, there's a heavy focus on effectively supporting our portfolio okay. of companies. We've yes. spent a lot of, you know, the last probably two years investing quite heavily. Yeah. Um, and so about half of our mind share right now is supporting those portfolio okay. companies. The other half of our mind share is looking yet again to the future. Yeah. Um, I you know, we count ourselves lucky. We're, we feel as though we're catching a second cycle. Okay. Um, call it what you may, uh, Web 3.0, Web you, know, 3.0. The, you know, the internet of value, yes. blockchain, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Okay. There clearly is um, an evolution yeah. of technology as it relates to these networks. And we're super excited about it. 
um, we understand that it's early, it's messy, yeah, it's messy. very scary. Um, and so about half our mind share right now is what we call just getting back into the cave okay. um, and learning, um, yes. understanding the, just the basic you know, fundamentals of this new you know, paradigm that we think is going to evolve. And um, you know, as an entrepreneur, I, I count myself lucky. I, I feel as though there may be an opportunity to catch not maybe one cycle, which was the internet, but maybe a second. A second cycle. And so I see that playing out in the next 15 years. Um, I'm thankful that I'm able to leverage a great team that we've built yes. and um, a little bit of experience. Okay. And um, it's a question of just uh, riding that wave. Cool. I feel like you have really an understanding of history. And for those that listen to this podcast, we should be learning more about history because life is just a circle that goes and goes. And it's the same pattern like you're saying. Agreed. Agreed. And um, I, I encourage you know, all the entrepreneurs either that we invest in or even folks that we talk to is, is just first understand the world that you're operating in. Yes. And, and, and sometimes it, it may not be the sexy and it seems a bit boring. But, you know, because as young people, we always discount the past until we mature. Yes. Um, and it makes sense. It's, that's how innovation is born is that we... We, you know, we see things in a new light yeah. and out with the old, in with the new. And, and we need that vibrancy. You need that spark. You need the, um, you need the ability to actually you know, suspend reality at times as an entrepreneur. Um, but w what happens is as we mature and, yeah. and we progress, if we, if we actually take a look at the past, we'll, we'll see there's a real correlation. Yeah. And similarities. And it, it is a cycle. It's a cycle of life. I mean, business is, is, is people. It's a human endeavor. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's a society and how we've worked as a society for very long. One of the things that we do find very interesting about looking at this, the evolution of, let's call it uh, the Web 3.0, yeah. it's um, this idea of decentralization yeah. of a network. I mean, we've always been successful as humans um, by um, actually centralizing, coming together as a group and effectively communicating across great, great distances. It is an incredible human um, experiment to consider what the world would look like if we actually went and decentralized ourselves in terms of authority. Okay. You, know, you know, the great strides that we've made in maybe the last, you know, let's, let's call it 500 years, um, is really been predicated on our ability as humans to actually centralize. Yeah. Um, centralize um, how we look at and deal with money, centralize how we look and deal with kind of government and, and, and how we manage ourselves as communities, and thoroughly, of course, religion. Um, what would that look like when we decentralize that? Yeah. Um, super fascinating stuff. Yeah, super fascinating. Let's see how it plays out. Um, very glad to have you on the show. It was very fascinating. I'm glad, Jay. Thank you for being on the show and thank you for you guys to listen to this podcast. A pleasure. Same here. Thank you very much for having thank me. You. Good luck with it. Good luck.